Luke chapter 7, where we obviously have taken a break from the, uh, the Gospel of Mark, the Images of Jesus series. We will for this week and next week and uh, get back into it uh, the week after Easter. But I want to give a little pre-message message uh, here. Um, this message is really about two words, doubt and perseverance. And um, uh, without going into the, the guts of, of all of that, um, can I say that, that this message that God laid on my heart is something that, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't say that from the perspective of God laid this on my heart to bring it to you guys. I say that from the perspective of God laid a truth on my heart for my life, uh, and uh, it was an awesome, awesome thing. If you want to know more about that, I'd be glad to talk to you about it individually. Um, but I've been... Uh, you go through peaks and valleys in life. You go through peaks and valleys in a Christian life, and those become even more extreme when you are a pastor. And so um, I'm on the... Uh, on the upside of, of something. So, uh, Luke chapter 7, I, I won't get into the, the gory details of all that, but I'd be willing to share that with anybody who wants to ask me later. Um, Luke chapter 7, verse 18, uh, we're talking about doubt for most of the, the message tonight, and, and the word doubt, and just want you to, uh, to think about that as we walk through this, and I want to lay some context for you for what is happening here with um, with John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist is in prison in this this time, and he's in prison because of this. Herod, uh, who was the Roman-appointed ruler of the Jews, was uh, married to one person, and he divorced her so that he could marry his brother's wife. Get that picture. The, the ruler, the Roman-appointed ruler of, of the Jewish nation was married to one girl, and he said, I don't want to be married to you anymore, I don't want to be married to my brother's wife. And so he forced the divorce of his, of his brother's wife, and he took her as his wife. And uh, John the Baptist rose up, speaking in that age, and said, no, uh, that's not right, you shouldn't do that. And because of the uproar that John the Baptist caused with his uh, disagreement with the marriage, Herod had him thrown into prison. So that's where John the Baptist is when this story happens. And... Uh, both he and Jesus are probably in their early 30s. This is early on in the ministry of Christ and early on in the ministry of, well, towards the middle of the ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, Luke 7, verse 18 is where we start. Uh, the disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John calling two of his disciples to him, and disciples, we talked about that last week. A disciple is someone who follows the teachings and patterns his life after the teachings and way of life of another person. So these are people who followed John around, trying to be like him, trying to act like him, trying to learn uh, learn from him. So, people that John was discipling. Two of his disciples, uh, he sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That's a vastly important question, and we'll spend most of our time tonight wrestling with what exactly John was talking about here. But let's read the rest of the passage. And when the men who had come to him... They said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. Verse 22, He answered them, Christ answered him, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. 
the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Two verses really to, to look deeply at here. The first one is the question that, that John has his disciples asked, and the last one is sort of the, the P.S. that Jesus leaves in verse 23. So, But doubt is here. The, the question is from John the Baptist. Remember that John the Baptist is the one who his life's work is to go and prepare the way for the Lord, proclaim that the Messiah is coming, and proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's John's whole deal, his whole life. The purpose that he was given breath was to say, Jesus is the Messiah, he's coming. And then when Christ came and John baptized him, he said, this is the one, this is the chosen one, the Messiah. The point of John's life was that message. And he spent his whole life saying it. And now, here is John wrestling with doubt from prison, saying this, sending word by his disciples, the ones who had given their lives to learning from Christ. So it would be, you know, like I've been in, in Jeff's life for many years. I've, I've discipled Jeff for, for probably 12 years now. It would be like me saying to Jeff, I, I doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. Would you go and find out if He is? And so it, John the Baptist is so full and so wrestled with his doubt that he sends a disciple of his to ask Jesus, have I wasted my life? Have I spent all my life saying you're the one when in fact you're not the one? Because John has spent his life proclaiming that you are the one out in the desert and now he finds himself without much fanfare, without much of a ministry, without much life because he finds himself in prison. So, John the Baptist is full of doubt. Uh, And again, know that the Israelites had spent their their entire lives back to to this thing, looking for the Messiah to come. And they've been told for a while that this one is the Messiah, and now John the Baptist, the one who probably shouldn't have any doubts, is is full of doubt. And now they're currently under the impression the oppression and the rule of the Romans, very similar to, to what they were when when the Passover came, and they're going to celebrate the Passover in just a little bit. And and they were under the same sort of oppression. And now John the Baptist is speaking about it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about doubt. A lot of times we want to run away from doubt. If doubt comes into our mind, we want to think to ourselves, if you have doubt, that means you have no faith. And if you have no faith, and you're in big trouble in this relationship with God sort of thing. And so because of that, because we are scared of doubt, many times we run away from it. We chase, we, we leave it, we don't even... Begin, we don't even validate our minds. We don't even validate, well, maybe this... Golly, what is going on? Here, John the Baptist says, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? I've spent my life saying the Messiah is coming. I've spent my life saying Jesus is the Messiah. And now John the Baptist is doubting, saying, sending his disciples, saying, are you the one? He's full of doubt. Uh, and so what, what happens when we doubt? And... and how do we doubt in this, this life? Sometimes we, we doubt our marriage. Sometimes we doubt even our God. Sometimes we doubt our church. Sometimes we doubt our friends. Sometimes we doubt pain and sickness and stuff that's happening in our lives. Or, or pain or sickness that's happening around us. Or we doubt how could God be God and what's happening in the Middle East be happening in the Middle East. How can there be war? We doubt God 
all the time. We doubt God's with our kids. We doubt God with our with our job, with our purpose and our mission. I know I, I've had several conversations, even this week, with some of you guys and some of the people outside of the church that I'm deeply connected with. And there are people everywhere that are doubting their purpose and their mission. They feel like God gave them something to do many years ago. And they're, they're saying, yeah, this is great. I'm going to live my life pursuing this mission and this purpose. And then doubt comes in. Did I hear wrongly from you, God? Was, was this... Did, did I really believe that you set my life on, on, a, on a course and on a mission? And we, we doubt that. And, and when we try to remain faithful to God, we think that doubt some, somehow shows weakness. And that so we, we chase it away. And, and I'm here to say, embrace your doubt. Run after your doubt. Own your doubt. Chew on it. Wrestle with it. And I think there are, there are really three stages of doubt. First, we... We chase it from our minds. We don't want to give it attention. We don't want to validate it. If I don't really think about the doubt that's crept into my mind, about my marriage, about my job, about my mission, about God, even Himself, if we, we push that away. We, we chase it away. We don't want to validate it. This usually, in my mind, when doubt comes into my head, I, this is my first reaction, is to push it away and not validate it. But if it rests there, if it stays there for a while... I have to wrestle with this doubt. I, I, I can't chase it away anymore, which leads to stage two in doubts. And that's we, we wrestle with it internally. And, and for me, what that looks like when I'm wrestling with doubt internally, it usually means I lay down on my, my pillow about 11, 11.30. That's when I typically go to bed and I can't sleep. And so I stand up and, and go into the other room and, and type on my computer or write in my journal. And I, I wrestle internally with doubt about marriage, about uh, this church, about my purpose for my life. And all these things happen. And, and that's the, the second stage of doubt, is to wrestle with it internally. And then the third stage of doubt is that we come out and we have a conversation about it. There's a, there's a movie that, that really brings this out. Uh, and it, it's a movie I've, I've seen before, and probably you guys have seen it before. It's called uh, Spanglish. It's an Adam Sandler movie, but it's not a you know your water boy type crazy no message sort of movie that Adam Sandler is in. It's it's really a great movie, and it's a it's. I, I never I never realized this. I've watched it twice, and I've watched clips of it this week. I never really realized this until this week. This movie is filled with doubt. Every single character in this movie is is has some sort of doubt. From uh, Adam Sandler to his wife to the one that he, he wants to cheat on his wife with. All three of those people are having doubt, and there's children in both of those those families, and they're wrestling with doubt. God, are, why, why did you put me in this situation? Why am I in this situation? Why do I have this parent? Why do I have this spouse? Why do I have this child? There's doubt everywhere. And so I want you to, to watch Adam Sandler in this movie. Uh, he's confronting his wife about uh, an affair that, that maybe she had, and, and he has gone through these three stages of, of chasing it away from his mind, wrestling with it internally, and then finally having a conversation about it. So roll that clip. In this, uh, in this clip, there he's, he's wrestling with, with the faithfulness or unfaithfulness of his wife. Um, and, and you see how he's, he's wrestling with, with the doubt of that. And not just the doubt, but just the, the whole of the connection that they have. Um, and, and 
encourage you maybe even to, to take a look and, and watch that whole movie and, and see the wrestling with doubt in relationship that's there. Every relationship is doubted. Every relationship is, is I don't fully trust you. And, and I, I want to come here tonight and, and say this, that so many times, and, and look around this room, we are filled with, with lifetime church people in this room. And so many times, we want to run as fast as we can away from this question if it drops into our head. God, I'm not sure that I trust you. I'm not sure that I, I, I can fully engage in this relationship. And John the Baptist here, we just read about it, has, has engaged that question in such a profound way that he's willing to let other people, he's willing to let those who trust him, those who pattern their lives after his own. And he's willing to say to Jesus, God, I'm not, Jesus, I'm not really sure you're who I've been telling everybody you are. Uh, in your bulletin, and I think on the screen, it's going to say uh, a quote from Tim Keller from a, the, a Reason for God. Tim Keller says this, A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. Let that sink into your brain and all that that means. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely, that is, happy-go-lucky, go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. Let me read that part again. People who don't really connect with their doubts, who don't wrestle with it, who don't admit it, who don't come to the, the depth and the core of those people will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. The experience of tragedy. If we have not so owned our faith that we can proudly doubt it, we can succumb to tragedy. I can think very specifically about people in my life who have succumbed to tragedy in their lives. And because there wasn't a firm, secure doubt in their minds previously and not wrestled with that, they are now in the gutter of the Christian life because they don't trust God. Because tragedy has happened in their life. I think half of you guys know exactly who I'm talking about. That, but the, the heart of it is, it's just, let's move on. Even the greatest have doubt. I want to read you three specific things about the greatness of John the Baptist. And we're showing him as having doubt. In the womb, he recognized Jesus and leapt for joy. Luke 1.41 says this, And Elizabeth, that's John the Baptist's mom, who's pregnant with John the Baptist in this moment, and Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, and the baby, that is John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, was, was his life was so preordained and providenced that in the womb, 
he recognized that another child was in another womb in the room with him and leapt for joy. This is the one who is here doubting. This is us realizing we can have permission to doubt God. We can have permission to say, God, I'm not sure that I trust you. And can I be bold enough to say I've asked God that question this week? Which is why this message attacks my heart. Number two, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. In Matthew 3, 13, he says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented and baptized him. John the Baptist is the one who leapt for joy in the womb of his mother at the mere presence of Christ as a fetus. John the Baptist was so looked upon by Jesus that he allowed him to baptize him. The third thing, Jesus said, Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John. Matthew 11.11 says, Jesus speaking, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The, the, what it, what's happened, this is Matthew chapter 11, where this verse comes from, is the, the furthering. Luke doesn't tell the whole story. Matthew tells the whole story of what's happening. This is the Matthew telling the same story that Luke just told in chapter 7 that we just read. And it's, this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Basically, Jesus is saying to his disciples, who are now being discipled by a guy who is full of doubt. He says to them, the guy who you are following, your guy who is the one that is leading you, there is no one greater than him. This is where this verse comes from in the further telling of the story. John has a great resume, but here he has wrestled and shown the three stages of doubt about the Messiah. Um, three other great biblical leaders doubt. Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 13. Gideon, who, who delivered God's people from the hand of Midian, says this, And Gideon said to him, this is the, the angel of the Lord. Many people believe it's, it's a, a Christ figure who came as an angel to Gideon. And he says this, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? You see the doubt all over Gideon there. And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, For did the, not, did the Lord not bring us up from Egypt? But the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Midian had come and taken everything. Anytime the, the Israelites would grow any sort of crop, the, the Midianites would come and steal it from them. So they were all dying of hunger because Midian had destroyed their land and taken every piece of food that was there. And Gideon, the one that God would use to free all of his people, is filled with doubt here. God, I don't trust you because the stories that my parents and my grandparents have told me about you, I don't see it happening. All I see is hunger and strife and anger towards you. I don't trust you. Yet, in the midst of that, further on in this passage, the angel of the Lord says, go, it's okay, have your doubts, but go, trust in God, see if he won't provide. And Throughout the whole chapter, Judges chapter 6, Gideon is showing a lack of faith. He's saying, I don't trust you, God. I, I'm not sure. And, and he, the story about the fleece and, and getting wet, and then the next day the fleece isn't wet, and the ground is, and all that stuff, comes to the, the fact that Gideon 
doesn't, he, he is engaging his doubts. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. Righteous O you are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet would I plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Jeremiah was the prophet, the mouthpiece of God in the midst of one of the worst times in the history of Israel. Jerusalem had been sacked and burned and destroyed. People had been killed, stabbed, burned alive. Women and children all had been killed. And Jeremiah, in the midst of that, says this, God, I don't trust you. You've allowed the wicked to come and destroy your temple, destroy your city, destroy your people, destroy your children. Why have you allowed this to happen? Job, chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. I loathe my life. Listen to the the doubt and pain there. I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. That is, I don't care who hears what I have to say about you, God. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to you, God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you are here to contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? Doubt everywhere. So, John the Baptist, here he is, in the midst of prison, doubting, and and here he is. And he has never experienced a time when he has had to have this experience. I want to tell you guys a story. When I was in the the seventh grade, uh, I lived uh, in Calverton Park. And uh, I was, um, a lot of you guys know, I was... It's not always the Hulk of a man you see in front of you tonight. Uh, uh, as a 7th grader, I probably weighed about 75 pounds. Um, man, that's, that was too much. It, it probably wasn't that much. 7th um, grader, I'm in the 7th grade, and I, I, I'm in this parking lot. We went, as junior highs, we went to this parking lot and, and played uh, uh, soccer and, and baseball in this parking lot down the street from my house. Uh, one day... Uh, there weren't enough guys there to, to get any sort of game going. There was maybe four or five of us. And there's this one kid there that was new that I'd never seen before. And he was younger than me, but he was uh, he was one of those just stocky kids. You know, it was like a, a fifth or sixth grader, just a stocky kid. And uh, so we started just messing around with this tennis ball, the four or five, just throwing it around, whatever. And uh, he wasn't looking, this new kid, we kind of, you know, just been goofing off for maybe a half hour, so he wasn't looking. And so I, I kind of tossed, tossed, not threw the tennis ball, tossed him, and it hit him in the head. And his response was to turn around, and he punched me right in the nose. And I had never, ever been hit in my life up until this point. And I'm like, what happened? And as I, I'm like, what in the world? Bam, he hit me again. And, and, so, and so I'm sitting there rolling from these two punches, and, and I've... Not only have I never been in a fight, I've never even been hit before. So I've been hit now twice, and I don't have any idea what's going on, and I'm tiny. And so I think, okay, i got to defend myself. Bam, he hit me again. He hit me a third time. And so after he hit me the third time, he's like this, you know, getting ready to hit me a fourth time, and then he gets clobbered by my brother. My brother just tackles him. And my brother was, was really big at this point, right? And he tackled him, and he's like, Stay down. Stay away from my brother. And my, I've had probably five or six of these experiences where I'm going to get beat up and Mike saves the day. Um, and so 
he tackles him and he's like holding him down. You gonna punch him again? You gonna hit him again? And he's like, no. And then he gets up, and so this kid says, I'm gonna go get my brother. And so he decides to go get his brother, and my brother's like, well, I know your brother, and we're best friends. If you want to come get him, it's fine, but we're gonna just hang out. There's not gonna be any fight. Um, so the point of that story is, I walked around my whole life as a kid, and even as there was a basketball game one time about 10 years ago when I was an adult, and uh, like some guy was messing with me, and he's like, don't mess with my little brother, man. I'm like, man. But anyway, the point is, <laughs> the point is, there, I have always had my brother around to protect me, to help me out. And John the Baptist is here in prison, and Jesus is around. Jesus is his cousin. Jesus is the one who, is, who he has said, John the Baptist's life has said, he is the Messiah. He is the one that's coming. And John the Baptist, in his head, is like, he sends these people, okay, Jesus, I know you're the one, at least I think you're the one, I'm not sure. Just come help me. Come help me out. But John's, Jesus' response is in verse 23. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This word offended is, is not offended like you burped at the table or you said something offensive and, and you know you said something offensive to, to a, a racial class or, or a, a sexual class or something like that. That's not this sort of offended. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's not that. It's, the word means injured or, or caused to shrink from. So blessed is the one who does not shrink from his lot even when there is pain and doubt. Jesus says to the disciples of John, go back to John and say, blessed is the one who doesn't shrink from what God, the hand that God has dealt them, even when they are injured, even when bad stuff is happening to them. Blessed is the one who does not shrink from his lot, even when there is pain and doubt. This is John, Jesus saying to John, my friend, my cousin, I'm not coming for you. In the midst of of such oppression and such doubt, Jesus sends word via his disciples that says, I'm not coming from you. Let me say this specifically. Sometimes God will deliver you from your circumstances. And sometimes He will give you the grace to get through them. Sometimes the glory of God is most magnified not by our deliverance, but by our perseverance. In the midst of our doubt, we are called to persevere. As Jesus speaks into the life of John, I'm not coming for you. Blessed are you when you are hurt on account of me. And you, in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your prison, you are being hurt because of who I am. Sometimes the glory of God is most magnified, not by our deliverance, but by our perseverance. Erwin McManus, this is also in your bulletin, and I don't think it's going to be on the screen. Erwin McManus, in his book, From the Barbarian Way, says this, Somehow... Love incites both love and hate with equal force. The mission of Christ would be easy to embrace and carry out if love always resulted in love. But it does not. It seems the world insists that love be proved. So, then, those who claim love are required to endure hate's most brutal tests. And John the Baptist is here in the midst of it, experiencing hate's most brutal test. He stands up for what's right. He stands up for the love 
of Christ. He stands up for the love of following God and says, Herod, you're wrong. And he's put in prison for it. He has to endure hatred. He has to endure the, the attack of love. Somehow love incites both love and hate with equal force. Uh, but the greatest story of perseverance in the midst of doubt is the story of Christ. Jesus was crucified, not in spite of His love, but because of it. His love inspites love and hate with equal force. I want to take you to the events that happened the week prior to Christ's life and see His doubt and see His endurance in the midst of doubt. Matthew 21, verse 23. He says this, And when... He entered the temple, that is Jesus. The chief priests and the elders of the people came up to Him. This is after the triumphal entry. This is the Tuesday before the death of Jesus Christ. Five days later, He will die. Four days later, He will die. Jesus says, they say to Jesus this, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? The the religious leaders are trying to trap Him before Christ is ready to be trapped. And Jesus' response to them is this, I will also ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. So basically, if you answer my question, I'll answer yours. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? That's the question Jesus asked. As they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? And John the Baptist, remember his message was, he is the Messiah, he is the the chosen one, repent of your sins. If you believe that his baptism was from heaven, then you should have believed him. Then, verse 26. But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that he was a prophet. And this verse is so crucial to to John the Baptist's response. If John the Baptist had responded while in prison to denounce Christ, to say, I thought he was a Messiah, but I made a mistake, and somehow relented from Herod, he would have shrunk from that, and the people would not have followed him, and Jesus may have been killed uh, early. But instead, John the Baptist stayed firm to his task, stayed true to his mission, and that was allowed Christ to finish his mission. Verse 27, And so they answered, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you then the authority by which I do these things. The answer to which that question would have gotten Christ killed. So John the Baptist, holding firm to his enduring, through even through his doubt, allowed this seen to happen. Then finally, the the last thing for us to wrestle with and deal with is the doubt and endurance of our Savior. Um, you're going to read this story, read even these these very verses this week if you if you go through the study guide. And I, and I want to to connect with the doubt of Christ and the endurance of Christ. The way we've we've talked about and wrestled with the doubt of John the Baptist and his endurance. And we've talked about it's okay to doubt God and endure through that doubt and see Jesus doubting here. Verse 37 of chapter 26, the book of Matthew. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that is, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He is internally wrestling with his doubt. Verse 38, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even 
to death. Remain here and watch with me. Verse 39. And here is the doubt of Jesus Christ. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you. You see Jesus moving from from doubt to begging of God to let this thing relent to endurance in the same sentence. He's Christ. But he says, God, please don't make me do this. Please don't make me endure this. But he does. And God's response is, the salvation of the entire world rests upon you. That my eternal plan for redemption rests upon you. My grand love story for the whole world how I have sent you, sent even myself to go to this planet to save these people that I love, rests upon your shoulders, upon your perseverance, upon your sacrifice. And I say to you this week, take courage, take endurance from the life of John the Baptist. Take courage, take endurance from the life of Christ. Take courage this week. Throw yourself into the study of the Holy Week. Throw yourself into all that Christ endured this week thousands of years ago. Go deep. Connect with the intensity of the suffering. Connect with the force of the hate and the grandness of the perseverance perseverance and love. Connect with those things. And as you do, understand that when doubt comes into your life, God is big enough and strong enough to be okay with that. And He wants to to hold you through that and give you endurance and give you the trust back that He is in your corner. He has a purpose for your, your hardship, a purpose for your doubt, a purpose to give you endurance. The great part about all of this is we get a chance to worship Him now. We get a chance to worship Him through communion, to worship Him through tithes and offerings, to worship Him through prayer, to worship Him through song. Let's pray and, and, and do that. God, I am amazed at who You are. I'm amazed at Your power. I'm amazed that You are a God that is so strong and so secure and so full of providence and sovereignty, God, that You embrace and accept and even encourage my doubt to strengthen my faith. Today's doubt becomes tomorrow's strength, God. You have taught that to my heart specifically this week, these last three weeks, God. And I thank You for that. Lord, I pray for us as a body tonight that we would would come to grips with that, Father, and You would would show Yourself strong in the midst of our doubt, God. And You would provide endurance that comes only from You, God. Lord, be with us now as we worship You, God. Be with us this week as we study, as we dive into trying to connect with the intensity of Your suffering and the grandness of Your plan, God. Be with us this week as as we desire to see Your doubt and Your endurance as we see Your Son celebrated 
in the triumphal entry. We see Your Son angry in the temple. We see Your Son suffering at the beatings and on the cross. We see Your Son dead in the tomb. And we see Your Son risen. God, we thank You. And we trust You. Teach us to trust You, God. It's in Christ's perfect name. Amen.